Welcome to episode 62 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers and the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. I'm your host, Bob Ambrogi. I have my own blog at lawsitesblog.com and also a podcast at lawnext.com where I cover legal technology and innovation. And my guest today is Michael Hunter Schwartz. He is the Dean of the University of Pacific's George School of Law. He has been in that role since 2017. He's a prolific author of many books uh, and articles and uh, also has his own blog uh, and uh, at called What Great Law Schools Do and recently helped uh, get started a, something that's unique at McGeorge Law School, which is something called McGeorge Law Today, a first-of-its-kind resource that brings together in a single place all the blogs, podcasts, uh, and other insights and analysis generated by the law school's faculty, staff, and alumni. So, uh, Dean Schwartz, welcome to This Week in Legal Blogging. Well, thanks for having me, Bob. I'm very excited uh, to be here today. Could I start by just asking you to tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in a deanship? Ah, um, so I've been in legal education for 30 years. It's something I knew I wanted to do within about my first month and a half of law school, which is a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> but I looked at what the professors were doing and I thought, oh my God, that looks like so much fun. And it turned out to be even better than I had imagined. Um, and so I was a, a law faculty member for, for a long, large number of years, almost, almost 25, uh, before I considered becoming a dean. And um, at some point, I was writing about teaching and learning in law school. That's my field of research. And at some point, uh, like is true of all the good decisions I've made with my career, my wife said to me, um, well, you've been writing about it long enough. When are you going to start doing something about uh, improving legal education? And, uh, and she was goosing me to apply for deanships, which is what I did and ultimately led uh, to this now, my second uh, stint as a dean. I was a dean at a, a law school, uh, University of Arkansas, Little Rock. You know, I was, I was curious. I mean, one of the, uh, you know, you mentioned that your your expertise is kind of in this area of, I guess, legal pedagogy, if you want to call it that, uh, if that's the right way to put it. Uh, and, and, you know, this has been a, uh, this has been a challenging couple of years for, for law schools, as it's been for the entire legal profession I, I know uh, I was looking at, at your blog and something you wrote about on your blog, I think a year ago or so, was a kind of a survey of how a number of law schools responded to the circumstances brought on by the pandemic. I just wonder what your thoughts are on how it affected your school, your students, your faculty. What I would say is that the pedagogical effects have been positive, but everything else about the pa pandemic was terrible. Um, so I feel like we grew new skills as a faculty. Um, like a good example would be that in 90% of all cases, um, office hours are actually better online than having a bunch of students crammed into our, our faculty offices, which aren't that big. And so actually lots of students can come, they can hang out and just listen. And so in that sense, our pedagogies become better. It also um, allows us to avoid uh, canceling classes if we have to go 
take a trip to do a presentation in another law school or something like that. We can just hold the classes on Zoom and deliver a really high quality product with it less inconvenience to the students. And it also got a lot of people who are careful about change to be more open to change. So um, allowing us to, to have faculty, we have a faculty member right now who is in Texas, an adjunct faculty member who teaches our um, legal Spanish for lawyers uh, course. And he's an alum who w- was here in Sacramento for a while, but he moved to Texas, but continued to teach that course for us because he's able to do so online. So on the pedagogy side, great. On the everything else side, you know, the loss of of life for the loved ones of our students has been incredibly painful. Um, we've been lucky we haven't lost any students um, or faculty members or staff members, but um, the stress of it all, um, the, the lack of um, getting to be around people, yeah. I think those have all been big challenges. Yeah. So good on the pedagogy side. We added new tools to our tool uh, kits, but bad on sort of the human side. Yeah. So so how do you uh, carry over those good parts uh, and get rid of the bad parts? I just came back from a, a legal tech conference in Chicago. My first time going anywhere pretty much in two years. My first time interacting with human beings face to face. And and it was, uh, you know, you realize how much you kind of lose uh, not having that face to face contact. Zoom is great, but uh, it only gets you so far. But as you say, there's there's positives to it as well. So what what parts do you carry over going forward? What parts uh, obviously do you do you not? Certainly, the office hours be a great example. Another one would be there are certain things that you might want to do in small groups, where being in Zoom breakout groups might be even a superior option because, especially if you're going to have students working and debating and arguing the way good lawyers would be arguing, if you're in a classroom broken into small groups, everyone can hear everyone else and be distracted by everyone else. In a Zoom breakout room, those might be the class sessions where you know you're going to do a heavy uh, small group work project where actually being online would be the better pedagogical choice. So like almost any pedagogical tool, what I would say is it all depends on what you want the students to learn that day and how you want to go about getting them to learn it. And then you adapt depending upon the, those circumstances. So it's a, it really is that if you want to zoom back to basic pedagogical principles, you decide what you want them to learn, you figure out how you're going to get them to learn it, and then you design, you choose the methodology for delivery online, in-person, asynchronous, synchronous, depending upon uh, what would work best for the particular learning that you want to produce. Yeah. I can't I can't uh, pass up the chance having having a law school dean here to ask uh, about about the state of legal education. I mean, you you write a blog uh, called "What Great Law Schools Do." There, there's been a lot of criticism uh, of law schools, uh, especially in recent years, that they they don't really do a good job uh, of preparing law students for the real world of practicing law, for the, you know, the practical skills they need to get out there and, and get a career going. What do you think about that? How, what, what kind of a grade would you give law schools overall? And, and uh, what else do they need to be doing? I think you, you, you could definitely infer from my conduct that I believe that law schools have room to improve their grade. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that 
at McGeorge now, every student to graduate has to do two clinical or externship experiences to graduate, two practical real world things, four semesters of legal writing. Just to give you context or your listeners context, it's typically two semesters of legal writing and there's no practical training requirement. Uh, Another example is every student to graduate Um, has to take uh, a course that we call the legal profession, which is in addition to our legal ethics course. And that that course includes things on professionalism and professional identity. And every entering student chooses a mentor who practices in an area that the student hopes to practice. They do uh, job shadowing. They uh, attend a networking event together. They interview them about their work. So Um, If you sort of go by my conduct and the law school I chose to work at, um, that combination would suggest that traditional legal education has room to get a better grade. But I will say that McGeorge is not unique. I think we're ahead of the curve, but we're not unique in trying to bring the practical into legal education. And I, and I promise I'll get to blogging since that's what we're here to talk about. But one other question, and maybe this question is maybe perhaps a segue to talking about blogging, but a topic that's near and dear to my heart that I've written a lot about over the years is that of the sort of duty of technology competence uh, that uh, is much talked about in the legal profession now. I, again, I'm wondering, what do, you th- what do you think the role of law schools is, or of your law school in particular, in, in preparing students to be technologically competent as they go off into the real world? I think it's critical. And earlier when I referred to our legal writing program, that really undersells what it is. We call it global lawyering skills um, to capture not only the international aspects of practicing law, but also the spectrum of skills that people need to get, including technological skills. Um, And so that's one of the reasons why that program is longer than most law schools programs. I will say that my view on technological skills would de-emphasize the mastering of any particular technology, because the only thing we can be certain is that the technologies that they learn in law school five years later, well, there'll be completely different ones that they need to master and more on the self-teaching of technology, technology skills um, is a much greater emphasis because that's what they really need to, to get. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was creating, working on a couple of book projects and I asked my research assistant uh, if he could create a website for each of the two book projects. And my research assistant said, sure. And then he created this beautiful website. And I said, wow, how'd you know how to do that? He said, oh, I taught myself. Uh, After I told you I could do it, I I watched YouTube videos. I went on uh, various blogs and and other online resources and taught myself how to create a good website. And the website had all kinds of bells and whistles. I wanted them for people to get informed consent before they submitted anything as part of the what the website would be doing. And he set it up so that it would happen uh, through through sort of screens that automatically happen. And so and so he figured out how to do all of that, which he had never done before because he learned he knew the skill of how to teach himself technologies. And that's really where I think what, what law schools really need to be. Doing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love that approach. Um, so you, I know you've been blogging uh, yourself at at what great law schools do, uh, and I think last year uh, you launched McGeorge Law Today, which a word from our sponsor done in conjunction with Lexblog, but it's a, it is a the, you are, as I understand it, you're the first law school to launch 
it's essentially a, a kind of an aggregation platform to pull together blogs and, and, and podcasts from your community, essentially, of alumni and faculty and staff. Um, can you explain why you wanted to do that? What, what, why you think that would be a good thing to do? Yes, thanks. I, I appreciate that. So, so, Bob, I mean, I think as a general rule, I, as dean, am always looking for ways to provide uh, support and amplify our faculty, staff, and alumni. That's a, a, a search that I believe deans are always looking for things that, to support our faculty, support our staff, and support our alumni. And, um, and so McGeorge Law Today is a great way for us to do exactly that, to kind of amplify the voices of our, of our faculty, staff, and alumni. And, and I think eventually students as well, we started off slow and we'll eventually, try, I think, transition in students. But we feel like that's maybe, yeah, I want to sort of see how it works mm-hmm. for a little bit. And so I was at a conference and I was talking with the CEO of Lexblog, Kevin O'Keefe, and he said he mentioned the idea of a aggregator opportunity. And, and it seemed like a perfect way to accomplish that goal, to really support and and advance our faculty and staff and alumni in a new way and get good traction for McGeorge in the larger community. So great for them because now they have a new way to reach our alumni to reach potential clients, our faculty to reach new readership for their scholarly work, our staff to support our faculty and students um, and alumni. So kind of worked on on all of those levels at once. And because of my experience with uh, what great law schools do, and I also knew I wanted to start a vlog, a video blog that, that's also up on uh, McGeorge Law Today that it, where I feature the uh, scholarly work of my colleagues, where I do interviews of, of my scholarly colleagues. It's called Real World Problems, Real World Research. So there'll be a, another way to aggregate the work of my um, faculty colleagues by interviewing them about it. So you said that when you kind of first embarked on this project, you you weren't quite sure how it worked. That's why you didn't bring students on right away. And, and am I right that it was last year at some point that that this was launched? Right. So so what has the experience been? How how's it worked out so far? So far, it's worked out great. We're really happy with the number of hits. I wish I could tell you what that number is. I get a report on it. I just haven't memorized the report. Yeah. But um, but we're really happy with. The response, the alumni who are, whose uh, blogs and um, podcasts are featured on there um, appreciate it greatly. I've heard really positive things from them. People who have never considered um, blogging appreciate it because they feel like, oh, wow, this is another opportunity for me to advance my career. And our faculty really appreciate, uh, especially the vlog where I'm, where I'm trying to feature their scholarly work. So yeah. it's, uh, it's kind of working on all on, on all cylinders so far. And I go and visit it, the, the McGeorge Law today, probably like, I try to make it there at least once a week so I can kind of see what's up there. And one of the things that was sort of an unexpected benefit is we figured out how to do, how to do a news feed from the news we're pouring out about the law school to McGeorge Law today. So it amplifies even another thing that I haven't, hadn't even anticipated hitting that platform. Yeah, so it's operating on a lot of different levels for I us. saw that. Were, were you uh, at all... Um aware of going into this how to to what extent alumni and faculty were blogging or to what extent material would be available to be aggregated here or have you been surprised well i was certainly well aware that that at least my alumni the friend that we have in common kevin is an incredibly (laughs) prolific blogger so i was well aware of kevin nothing else you get tons of stuff from kevin (laughs) yes i hadn't realized how many other alumni 
um, engaged in blogging. That was a surprise to me. On the faculty side, I knew because they report these things to me, but I really wasn't aware of the large, the much larger than expected number of alumni who, who, uh, whose practice includes blogging. In fact, I discovered today I was preparing for this interview and I went on there and, and an alum that I had no idea was blogging. Uh, there's an article from him um, on there today that I hadn't expected. Yeah. If you know Kevin and if you've read his stuff, I know something that he likes to talk about uh, every so often is this question of to what extent blogs uh, in legal academia can replace sort of traditional publishing avenues such as the law review. Uh, what's your take on that? Where, where do blogs play into um, um, you know, academic research, academic writing? I would say more supplemental, less replacement. And the reason why I say that is, has more to do with the culture of higher education, that the coin of the realm are these lengthy, you know, dozens of footnotes, formal uh, legal scholarship. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't see that changing much at all. But I do see, like right now, if you go to the training, uh, which I participate in every year for new law professors, um, they hear about blogging as part of a way to amplify their work. And so um, while it seems unlikely to replace it seems strategic, critically strategic for people to uh, be amplifying their their research by doing it in a more ac accessible way via blogging. What about for law students? Uh, is there a place for teaching law students about blogging and social media or, or for supporting law students in their own efforts to, to blog and, and promote themselves through social media? Yeah, I do think that many, many law schools, including McGeorge, offer a law practice management kind of a course. Mm -hmm. right. um, and so the most logical place for that to start is that kind of instruction, blogging and social media and the like, is to start there in part because if you do it well, it can advance your your career, your business as a as a new practitioner. And if you mess up, it could affect your career. Um, and so it, it's important to teach people to do it because they are going to do it. They're a social media generation and we don't want them to do something that tanks their career. Um, and a good example is a former student of mine lost her job because she tweeted about something and she was a clerk for a judge and tweeted about something that happened in court that wasn't supposed to get out. Oh, interesting. So it's not so much about, uh, helping them say, learn to blog or get started in blog, they're going to figure that out on their own. It's more about help how to teaching them how to do it responsibly and in a way that's going to advance their career and not hurt their career. Yeah. Actually, I'd say it's both. I mean, yeah, teaching okay. them how to do it yeah, well yeah. and teaching them how to do it without getting themselves in trouble. So I think it's really both, not one or the other. So uh, given that, at what point do you see starting to bring law students into this McGeorge Law Today feed that you have? I think we're sort of experimenting a little with a, with a sort of McGeorge branded blog where different students are contributing blog entries that come directly from our students. So we're doing it a little bit already. And then eventually, if a student starts showing skill and interest, uh, we might invite that student to, um, to you know, blog more 
and then slowly build from there. Again, since we're not not to not to be a, a, a one song uh, act here, but uh, insofar as we're talking about blogging, and you've talked about faculty and uh, in, in the blogging that they're doing and McGeorge Law today, is there a role for the law school in supporting faculty in their blogging, in addition to, or uh, you know, uh, as an adjunct to to the aggregation engine you've already created? Oh, absolutely. It's one of the reasons we had Kevin out to our law school to speak to our faculty, staff, and alumni. We, we've had, I think we've had him out twice. I think we're going to continue to keep inviting him for the very reason that he's thought really deeply about best practices in blogging and, um, and how those best practices might connect to specific goals of our faculty or our alumni for advancing their careers. So um, I feel like that's already happening. And I think it's just going to keep happening more and more. So, so I, I see that one as a work that's already in progress. Yeah, you know, you, you talked before about through your your practice uh, uh, course, uh, helping law students think about things like blogging and social media and prepare for doing that sort of thing. Do, do you see that as having? Do you see blogging or social media or, or other forms of podcasting, vlogging, publishing? What what are the role of those kind of media in helping advance a law student's career or promote a law student's career? Certainly, if a student were to, and and there are certainly stories of students who really immerse themselves in areas that were relevant to what they wanted to do with their future careers, sports law, um, a specific aspect of sports law, or or cryptocurrency. Um, so I could imagine that a student who really made a commitment, and I've heard of students who've really made a commitment to really getting themselves to become experts in a, a narrow subfield that's an emerging field. And that's where I see really uh, the opportunity is that a student can make a name for herself and or for themselves and use that as a springboard to career opportunities. Mm-hmm. I asked you before about how the pandemic has kind of changed teaching and the environment at the law school. Has it changed at all the skills that law students need to be graduating with from law school? So there's there may be a subtle way that the pandemic required students to be, to use a term of educational theory, and I apologize this, more self-regulating. In other words, if you are studying from home, going to school from home, um, doing an externship from home, you need to be able to sort of self-motivate, self-regulate, um, make sure that you're managing your your the workload that you have, whether it's the school work or the job work or whatever. Um, and as legal employers um, grow in their flexibility as they have, in allowing people to work from home, um, working from home is great, but it's also a distraction-rich environment, and um, and so the ability to manage your attention, your um, work, your time um, is a critical skill. And so, in a way, what the pandemic has done is almost like screen students for their ability to self-regulate and force those who were less effective at it, but who were committed to being successful in law school to teach themselves to self-regulate. What's 
what's on the agenda for you now? What's ahead for the law school and, and, and uh, over over the coming year? As we, I guess we, I guess we, you've probably emerged already. I feel like we're just starting to emerge from this sort of uh, dystopian nightmare we've all been stuck in for for two years. So. What what does the next year or two look like for you in the law school? This is a pretty exciting time for McGeorge. You may have seen the news. We just got this uh, $25 million gift from an alumnus. I did not see that. And so bringing that, the the opportunities created by that gift forward is going to be a big a big thing for us. We're also coming up on our 100th anniversary of a, as a law school. Um, and I see that as a really big opportunity. And... We're also at a transition sort of on the faculty side. Last year, we hired three new faculty colleagues. This year, we're hiring four. And in my previous three years at the law school, we hired zero. So there's also a transition on the on a sort of faculty side as we integrate new colleagues and and um, you bring in new colleagues and new new visions. I, I really do see that as a a big area for growth. And then um, legal education is in the middle of really a moment where we have to look at the systemic issues that have resulted in a profession that is one of the least diverse professions out there. And legal education needs that moment of introspection to look at the things that we do that are barriers to people attending law school, to succeeding law in law school, to succeeding in the practice of law. Um, and do things to to address those barriers and diversify the profession. Yeah, yeah. Does that include the uh, the bar admission process? Do we need change there? Yeah. So there's lots of room for us to improve our bar admission process. There's this weird thing about the bar that in the one state where if you go to a law school in Wisconsin, you're automatically like waved into the bar. Mm-hmm. They have no higher incidence of malpractice or unethical behavior than in any of the other 49 states mm-hmm. that all require a bar exam. Um, yeah. So that tells me that the bar exam isn't screening what they think it's screening. Um, and it really is mostly a, a test of, um, of memorization and time. In other words, um, the people who struggle some, uh, often on the bar exam is because they have they have to work while they're in law school because they don't have the the financial resources to take the time off to study for the bar exam. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're measuring things. The other big thing we're measuring is speededness. How fast can you spit out what you spent two and a half months memorizing and not really measuring things that look like competence for practice? So I, I do think that we're going to be uh, revisiting it. Uh, there's an interesting experiment in New Hampshire, the Daniel Webster Scholars Program, um, where people can become join the, the bar rather than by taking a one-day exam, which just measures, did you have one good day? Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you actually, uh, over the course of your legal education, create, you know, you do uh, a, a mock brief and a mock um, client interview, and and you see, you kind of create the evidence that you have the skills that a practicing lawyer really needs. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I've been peppering you with questions for a half an hour. Uh, let me give you a chance. Is there anything else you'd like to say about blogging or uh, or law school or or uh, anything else you'd like to talk about? 
I guess about the only other thing I would say is uh, just how happy I have been with uh, McGeorge Law today. I really feel like it was, it's been a great opportunity for, for McGeorge. And, um, and if there are any even McGeorge alums who are listening, I hope you will start a blog and, and we'll arrange for it to feed onto McGeorge Law today. So all your former classmates can see the great work that you're doing. Uh, on that note, we <laughs> sounds like a perfect place to stop. But Dean Schwartz, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today and to talk about Nick George Law today and about everything else you're doing. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Bob. Really been a pleasure for me as well. I appreciate the opportunity. And listeners, this was episode 62 of This Week in Legal Blogging. Uh, you can peruse our full library of shows wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go over to lexblog.com slash TWILB for outlines of each and every show. And while you're uh, checking us out, if you'd like to leave a review, we always appreciate it. On behalf of myself and everybody at LexBlog, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>